Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we thank you for listening, as always, uh, to the Bastion News Radio Show, 646-929-0130, the number. want to bring in my uh, one of my guests. Uh, he is a motivational speaker, media personality, and community activist. He is Dr. Lee Bell. And, Doc, always a pleasure to have you on the Bastion News Radio Show, sir. Well, it's always great to be in the Bachelor Pad Radio Show and Network LA. Doc, uh, I know um, we were looking at another guest. Hopefully, we'll get him on the line. Uh, but uh, there is a movement. Well, first of all, let me backtrack. For those who don't know, you're in Flint, Michigan, um, where the Flint water genocide is taking place. Um, and, you know, obviously people are not familiar with the, the case, shame on them, but um, the, the water and there the, the was lead in the water, people are getting sick, some people have had some fatalities there in Flint, um, mostly black and brown people, but poor whites as well that live in the city. Uh, the former governor, uh, who is not the governor anymore, is uh, a a free man. Um, a lot of people have not been charged, even indicted, if you will. Um, but there's a lawsuit out there now. Um, but the concern from you and 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 you guess if we get him on is that the lawyers who are bringing this lawsuit on behalf of the citizens of Flint, Michigan, are taking too much money. And before you answer, and and before you answer too, Doc, I have to I have to say full disclosure. Um, for me personally, I never say all, but what I'm going to say is that liars, I mean lawyers, um, some of them overcharge. It's like the medical profession. If you have a retainer. That's basically saying we're going to bill you for services we may help you with. That's medical insurance. You paying out of your pocket for maybe getting sick. So, and I have a problem with that. I have a big problem with that. And I have lawyer friends, and some are not my friends anymore. But, but I have a problem with that. And so, it, people like yourself in this city that had to get bottled water are suffering. You get some form of some form of monetary justice, if you will, and even that's being robbed from the citizens of Flint. So talk about that and why these this 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 petition that's going on and, and, and how and why these attorneys are overbilling this thing from a, a city that's already been decimated with all kinds of uh, legions, diseases and everything else. L.A., the only answer I can give you is greed. They are set to get off the top of the settlement $202 billion. And then last week they submitted expenses in the amount of $7 million. Now, anyone following the Flint water crisis case knows 
the lawyers had to do very little work. All of the evidence, per se, is right out in the open. This is not the criminal trial. This is simply something that the state of Michigan put on the table and negotiated. $641 million. They asked the city of Flint to put in $20 million. A local construction firm put in $1.2 million, I believe. And then the hospital where all of the Legionnaires cases came from, they put in $20 million. Now, where do you charge the victim or a city of victims to put into a lawsuit? In my estimation, the state should have ponied up $1.5 billion or more. The local hospital, McLaren, CDC released a study about two weeks ago, CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They said this hospital has been linked to Legionnaire's disease for the last 10 years. What the governor, the attorney general, came up with while negotiating this proposed settlement was 641, well, 600 million. 20 was put in by McLaren, 20 was put in by the city of Flint, and 1.5 or so put in by a local engineering firm. Now, to add insult to injury, the engineering firm, they are still getting city work. The settlement is broken down into several pieces. 80% of the monies will go towards the children in Flint. Let me say that again. 80% of the monies will go to the children of Flint who can prove that they have been harmed by the lead water. There's a psychological exam that needs to be done. There has been 28 done to date, and there are over 2,000 and something kids who need this test. And the deadline to sign up for the lawsuit is March 29th. That's the date that everybody has to make a decision. And in some cases, you need to make the decision today because the if you're going to opt out of the suit altogether, that paperwork has to be in the mail postmarked by March 29th. With the, it's just a few days from now. If you're going to opt in with objections, your paperwork has to actually be where it needs to be on the 29th. And Doc, let me ask you this real quick. Let me yeah. ask you this real quick. The, the, this, this, these attorneys were appointed by a judge, right? Yes, Judge Judith so, Levy. So then how does – it's I don't tell me the dynamics and how if they're appointed by a judge, how do they it may um stupid or something, but it, it, how do they 
get to get their 33.5% or whatever they normally charge if they're, if they're appointed by a judge. The second point of this, the second question I have for you is that if they are, if these, if people, do people, first of all, all Flint know that they have this lawsuit that they can, they have the deadline. And, and if they know the deadline, can they opt out and get a private attorney to push forth more on their behalf? Yes, you can opt out. Yes, you can opt out and get a private attorney at your expense, of course. But L.A., this is part of the problem. The lawyer's office has been closed due to the pandemic until two weeks ago. Most Flint residents have not received their packets in the mail. And it's a 70-page packet that you must decipher. Now, those living in Flint who are in the know, you have three options for this lawsuit. You can opt in saying, I'm okay with the settlement as it is. You can opt in with objections. And to do that, you have to, in writing, send material to the judge saying, I object for whatever reason you have. Or you can opt out, get your own lawyer at your own expense. But that's not really wise right now. They have to do what they have to do by March 29th. Now, the piece with the opt-in with objections, our city councilman, Eric Mays, asked the lawyers for the lawsuit, would they help him with objections? They told him no, could not, and they would not. Now, just today, Councilman Mays, broke the news that he's been talking with a local attorney and they are recruiting new attorneys to help people file the opt-in with objections paperwork. We are objecting for several reasons. Number one, the office of the lawyers have been closed due to pandemic. There's a bone lead test that is supposed to be made available One of the local doctors broke the news a couple weeks ago that this device that they're using, it's a handheld x-ray machine, will more than likely put the kids and the adults in more danger. They're just bringing this test to the community. It's an x-ray machine. It wasn't even made for human beings. So you're trying to poison this community again with lead or x-rays. It's a mess, L.A. So let me go ahead. So Mr. Bob Jerigo Jones and his Michigan lawsuit abuse watch group, they've been watching this um, fiasco and decided to step in. So. The campaign is called More for Flint. His firm, it's a nonprofit firm, they are stepping in to not only challenge the lawyers' fees, but they're also trying to secure more money for the citizens of Flint. Now, the category for adults that have been harmed physically harmed, you have to prove 
that you've been harmed. Doctor records, x-rays, CAT scans, and the like. If you are an adult claiming injury on your property, the cap on that is $1,000. Now, if you have bought a hot water heater, a washer and dryer, or if you had to buy a whole house filter, those items cost more than $1,000. Now, let me put this on the table. The lawyers negotiated this settlement supposedly. So my question has been, what the hell does the state of Michigan have to negotiate with? They're the perpetrators of this crime. Every citizen, every person who visited Flint, who worked in Flint, should be eligible for some kind of compensation. Do you remember the story about Michigan State where the 200-plus young ladies were molested by Dr. Nasser? Yes, I do. The, the, uh, so he, my, uh, yeah, he was a, was he a strength and conditioning coach? I forgot what he was at Michigan State. But I know, their, I know the story. He, he was their physician. So the question is, why did those mostly little white girls know? The question is, how did they prove they were molested? But you're going to make the residents, the visitors to the city of Flint, and those who worked in Flint, prove that they have been harmed by the poison water. Because the poison water affected black people. That's why. We know what the answer is, Doc. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's bad enough that politicians, that criminal, your former Governor Snyder, have not been arrested and, and charged and things. Um, indictments are one thing. Making them go to jail is something different. Um, and to be clear, 80% of this money will go to Flint kids who shouldn't have to prove they got legionnaires and everything. They, what are they proving? I, I mean, no disrespect to these, these, these girls that got raped and everything, but you know, we always have to prove ourselves. We have to be half dead for, for any kind of investigation, let alone justice that takes place. And, and it's just very, is is very sickening that these, these are, attorneys could do these this. are these are mainly white law firms. They negotiated that we have to prove we've been endangered. Now the monies that the kids will be able to get, providing they have the documentation, will go into a trust fund. So the parents that have struggled for the last seven years due to their children being poisoned will not even have access to that money. Mm -mm. Wow. So I asked Bob the other day, with all of the hoops and hurdles that the residents of Flint have to uh, uh, achieve, what happens to the leftover money? He said, well, it could go to the attorneys. 
So on or, top of what they're getting, the leftover money can go back in the attorney's hands. Or to some pet project they have, such wow. as it might go back to the law school that they graduated from. But L.A., I want people to remember more for Flint. That's what this campaign is called, more for Flint. And your listeners can go to moreforflint.com and sign the petition. I, I want to uh, just re, re, moreforflint.com. I, and, Doc, I want to read just some part of that home page that uh, it, it says the um, – we believe the $202.8 million in fees being demanded, demanded by the plaintiff lawyers. Now, these are lawyers, folks, that were designated by a judge, demanded, uh, appointed by the court to represent the victims in the Flint water crisis settlement is excessive and outrageous. It says, in bold, every 1% reduction in the lawyers, 1%. One percent, not ten percent, only one percent contingency fee would provide the twenty six thousand Flint children exposed to lead another visit to the uh, pediatrician. And it basically says, you know, we'd rather give it to, to, to help the kids than the, the pad the pockets of these liars, lawyers. And so, um, you know, doctor. If if you could just express the outrage, not just from this with the lawyers, but this has been going on under the radar. We know we've had COVID, but the water crisis has been going on in Flint way before COVID. This crisis has been going on and been covered up way before a lot of different things. And we've had two presidents, yes, folks who love Barack Obama, who didn't really do anything about it. Two senators that did nothing about it. A governor who does nothing about it. An attorney general who's settling. So nobody seems to, to care about the damn thing. Not, nobody cares that these, these folks are suffering. And then on top of the physical suffering, now you want to hit them and take some of the money. Now those who are already struggling to take care of their families, including their sick kids, can't even have the, the funds better themselves and, 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 and do the things they need. It's almost like a doc, like it, they want them to get private attorneys so they can drag it out. It's like the old NFL adage with some of the former players. The NFL with these former players that have concussions and all CTE-type uh, uh, injuries, they keep them in court until they die. And that's the, that's the strategy, and it seems like that's the strategy in Flint right now. I would have to agree what we hear at the legislature. They have Flint fatigue. They're tired of hearing about the Flint water crisis. What I say to that, I'm talking to some other lawyers. There's a lawyer out of Atlanta, C.K. Hoffler. She's president of the National Bar Association, which are a group of black lawyers. They will not get into this lawsuit, but they are fighting on our behalf in other ways. C.K. Hoffler is also the counsel of um, Rainbow Push. Now, these lawyers negotiated in secrecy 
for two and a half to three years. And they brought this proposed settlement to our city council to ask them to put in $20 million, which will come from our insurance policy. That happened in late to mid-December. That's the first we ever heard of the lawsuit being close to being settled and put on the table. So all of this has been done in a rush. Like I said, the deadline to sign up is March 29th. Some people have not gotten their forms yet. A pack of 70 pages. Oh, in L.A., they did not include an opt-in with options page. So that's why we're scrambling with another local attorney to create a page so people can start picking those up on Wednesday. And we're hoping that the opt-in with objections will be in greater number than those who have already just opted in. When do you have a lawyer or a lawsuit and the lawyer tells you to settle and you don't know what you're getting? Exactly. Um, if you're just joining us, we'll talk with Dr. Lee Bell in Flint, Michigan, on the Bachelor News Radio Show on WCOM in Chapel Hill. Uh, the website is moreflint.com, moreflint.com. You can sign a more petition there and get involved. Uh, yeah, more.com. And, uh, Doc, two questions for you. Have you noticed attorneys, you mentioned attorneys in Atlanta, that local attorneys are afraid, apprehensive to get involved with this? And in the second part of this, is this not some form of civil rights violations in terms of the rights to be able to 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 uh, uh, live and live healthy, uh, paying your taxes and and the right to have those those liberties, as you will, maybe the ACLU, um, you know, in the city of Flint, LA. It's definitely a case based on race. Both the original crime, the poisoning of the Flint water. The Michigan Civil Rights Commission did a study. They went back in Flint's history for 100 years, and they came back with a document and with the final, uh, what do you call it, a final disposition that this happened because of race. There are two black attorneys that are on the periphery of this case. One is Valdemar Washington. Mr. Washington has has a case suing the city of Flint for illegally raising our water rates over the last eight years or so. So he is being kept out of this big settlement. And then there's another local attorney, black guy, Lois Fletcher. He is suing, trying to get the Flint residents their money back for the water that we have been paying for for seven years that we cannot use. 
the lawyers on the lawsuit took him to court. The judge called, the federal judge, Judith Levy, called in Mr. Fletcher and told him to stand down. Stay out of this. So you had these out-of-town white lawyers running the show. And one of the law firms has been allegedly caught stealing money from the 911 class action lawsuit. And there are four white uh, law firms that will divvy up that $208 million or so. You know, it's I, I want people to, to, to understand and, and, and get the picture of this. This is not the, a third world country. This is the United States of America, and this is a city in America that's going, that, that, that got poisoned by bad water. Um, and, folks, if, if you're listening and you think it's not going on in your city or some cities around you, then then I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, and, 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 Doc, I, I, I don't want to make it completely political, but you always talk about how Republicans and Democrats are, are, are in the same, especially um, the white ones. Let's just be real. And the leadership, again, has had um, – you know, Democrats in, in office, of course, the Snyder is the criminal on, under his watch, the Republican. But again, you got two, you know, uh, Democratic senators. What's Stebano and, and uh, Gary, uh, whatever his last Peter, name is, is are, are they, Stephen, Peters, what are, what are they doing? It's like nobody cares, even the Congressional Black Caucus, right? You got they're black not, uh, congressmen and women, they're not doing a damn thing either. They are not. I have been trying to contact the Congressional Black Caucus. I've been sending them communications. I called Nancy Pelosi today. I have, well, everybody's wondering where our two lily white senators are. Now, our uh, U.S. Rep. Dan Kildee, he has been in conversation, and he's looking around. The only help we have had, I've been contacting the Oversight Committee, the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Crickets. I'm not hearing a doggone thing. One of the things uh, Attorney Brenda Williams, located here in Flint, said today, that typically in these uh, class action lawsuits, you're supposed to get your paperwork 60 to 30 days before the deadline. There are still individuals in Flint who have not received their packet in the mail. But they're supposed to make a decision by March 29th. And we are also hoping that we get enough folks objecting. The judge said she will listen to the objections. And we're hoping to have four to five days worth of objections. There are so many levels to object to this proposed settlement. It's ridiculous. 
due to the pandemic alone, the deadline should be moved back. People have not been able to get the psychological testing for their children during this pandemic. People have not been able to get their bone-led testing if they wanted it because of the pandemic. We know that the last president of the United States slowed our mail down to a trickle. That's another reason to object. If you get your packet tomorrow and you want to reject or opt out of this settlement, your paperwork has to be in Texas by postmark by the 29th. Right now, I don't know if that's even physically possible. And, and I guess it's, it's I don't know, we're, we're not attorneys, Dr. Bell, but you're close to it, you're there. Is it even legal if if the shutdown has been because of COVID? I mean, they, they've made exceptions for, for everything because of COVID. Why not make an exception? Why can't the judge make an exception and, and, and push it back, especially if it's got to be postmarked and go all the way to, to, to Texas? I mean, it should be... Some somebody's got to be, be before the judge to make that kind of, you know, case. It doesn't make any sense to try to keep this deadline if COVID and, and the idiot who was running the, the, the country, you know, recently, um, you know, shut down the mail or slowed the mail, then it should be a, a, a legal and a, an arguable petition. And and what is the Biden administration saying about this? Have, have they even said anything? We have not directly heard from that administration, but again, I have been reaching out as well as others, like our city councilman, Eric Mays, but crickets. Now, now I don't know if I shared this with you. The current mayor, Sheldon Neely, had been telling people to take this settlement because we still had the EPA as well as two other architectural firms to sue. Well, we found out a couple weeks ago that to sue the EPA, you had to sign up in 2015. Wow. The fix is definitely in. The fix is in with this. I mean, it's... It smells so bad. Um, And people are suffering and can lose their life. This is why, um, as we talk about uh, these these things, that all the suffering with COVID and everything else is, is enormously higher in rates when it comes to black folks. And now you have a water crisis that's been going on through two administrations, both at the president level and the governorships and and local levels. Uh, They even ran your mayor out of town who was trying to do the right thing, former mayor. Um, And nobody seems to care. And it's got to be frustrating. Are the people on the ground, Doc, final question for you, you know, how are they feeling? What what are they really thinking? Because it almost seems like that you need to opt out of this thing. Um, but who can afford a high-priced attorney to fight this 
thing. And, and again, from the other side, it's the old adage. Just keep them in court and litigation until they die. Let them die off. Then that's less money we got to pay out, any money we have to pay out. L.A., it's very frustrating, the situation itself, and then you add COVID to the mix. The Flint residents' immune system have been dearly compromised by the lead poisoning, and then you bring about a pandemic. So it's like we were set up and then beat up. The lawyers are supposed to go through extraordinary measures to get the word out to the people. They have been holding Zoom meetings for three weeks, and that's it. They told the judge they couldn't do much more than that as far as informing the people. So another company has been hired to send out the 70-page packet that are not arriving in time. And on top of all of that stress, I I have to say this. Doc, I have to say this too. Go ahead. You always use the term genocide. That's exactly what it is. And I use that term because this is this is deliberate. There's no way about it. They covered it up. Now they just want people to just die. Let's just rig it, judge involved, attorneys involved, and let's just, you know, let's just hope these people just die off, um, you know, and we, we keep it moving. And I have to say this, too, about the, the system. I never, I stopped calling it criminal justice. Um, because there's no justice for folks who look like us, number one. Number two, and I don't always do this, but having gone through family court, it, it don't even, sometimes, it, I, and I, I can't even tell you the money I dropped, but it, it, it's not even about the money. It, it's about if you black, you just, it, it ain't going to happen. I mean, you might be fortunate enough uh, to have enough fame, and even more money or whatever to get through some things. But it, it's just, it is, you guys are set up for failure and death. And meanwhile, Governor Snyder is sitting fat. He's going to write some books and go on tours. He'll be on Fox or whatever because he's a Republican and, and live his life. And all his underlings and everybody else, even if someone, if, 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 if do some time, then then it'll be some slap on the wrist. I mean, you look at, the, I mean, um, you look at Cuomo. You know, if it walks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's not a dog. And yeah, you go through the process, but his white privilege says, I'm not going anywhere. I, yeah, I harassed these women. I made sexual advances, but I'm Andrew Cuomo. I'm not going anywhere. Governor Snyder is walking. And the frustration, I can't even imagine the frustration. And and I'm fearful, again, Doc, Flint is just the poster child for so many um, black communities 
where they just don't give a shit. They just, the water's bad, so what? They're they going to kill themselves anyway. You know, they, whatever. Just let, they'll just die off anyway. They, they kill each other. Just the water's so bad, so what? Just keep it moving. And that's, that's the, the feeling you get in the urban air, areas. And when people talk about, you know, uh, climate control and climate change and, and the environment, that's an environmental uh, racism right there where you won't get this shit going on in the suburbs where all the most of the white folks are, but, you know, it's nigger town. So just water just could be bad, and we'll just keep it moving. They're going to kill each other anyway. Well, and Excuse LA, my language. Though. Snyder's chief of the Health and Human Services Department actually said they're going to die from something anyway. Right. No big deal, you know. It's it, and 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 fiction is reality. I remember watching The Godfather, and they had a little meeting, and they talk. They the, the fathers were talking about the Godfathers were talking about, you know, should they sell drugs or not? Yeah, put it in Harlem that with the darkies, they kill each other anyway, and that's a real life thing. Like that was in a movie, but it's really real. That's how they feel. Like they don't want to care about us. And then on top of it, Doc, you know, outside of the petition, what can you do? I mean, if if your own so-called attorneys who's supposed to represent you want you to settle so they can get paid, get their yachts and and planes and everything else, the liars, right, then what do you do? You just take it up to you-know-what and just take what you get and keep it moving? I mean, that's, that's the frustration that a lot of people, and, and it's also designed, Doc, for people to just say, you know what, I ain't even bother with it. I'm just going to leave it alone. Just like when they make it hard to vote, man, I, my vote ain't going to count. I can't vote anyway, you know, whatever. I'm not going to worry about it. The frustration turns into this sense of, uh, you know, loss. Like it, it, nothing's going to change. It's not going to help me. It's not going to help my family. So I'm just going to leave it alone. You're so right. And I am reminded of the scenes in Root where they chopped Kunta Kinte's foot off to get him to finally say, Toby is my name. But we're going down fighting, L.A. And we, we, want to. To thank you. we want to thank you for all of the time and attention that you have given us through these seven years. It's much appreciated. And I urge your listeners to go sign that petition. It takes two minutes or so, moreforflint.com. And just to focus, this is more money for the citizens of Flint, not more money for the government of Flint. We're pushing that more of that settlement money goes to the citizens, those folks who have been harmed, hurt, and harmed. This is no different to anything. This is no different than any other cover-up, uh, whether it be the Tuskegee experiment or Flint. There's a cover-up, and then they try to run and hide like cockroaches, and and then they, they protect it. You know, the white privilege kicks in. And Morphaflint.com, Morphaflint.com. Doc, before you go, real quick, if you can uh, just kind of update on the Poor People's Campaign. I know uh, we have uh, rallies in, in our state capital here in North Carolina 
from the North Carolina Chapel, the uh, Poor People's Campaign. But we'll talk about the updates again. Once again, this country, right? They don't want to. They don't want to give fifteen bucks an hour, fifteen uh, bucks an hour minimum wage. Politicians won't live off that, just like they won't live off bad insurance. But it's okay for to offer that fifteen bucks. People don't understand to do the math. Fifteen bucks an hour for a year is not a lot of money. I know people that make that right, and and I know some people, personal folks, doc, that say, "Listen, yeah, I could pay all my bills, but I gotta go to the soup kitchen to eat sometimes." And I know a single brother that does that because he can cover his bills, but he ain't got enough food. Can't get. He makes too much money, if you will, quote unquote, to to get assistance so he just got to do what he got to do or work two or three jobs and it and and they're fighting they're letting it go joe biden and 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 vice president harris and and others you're letting this 15 dollars an hour which is not a lot of money go to the wayside i understand covid and and all of that we've all have been affected by covid god bless those who've lost but this is still important. People still got to live after COVID, right? So yes. why is that such a big deal, Dr. Bell? Well, L.A., we broke it down, the salary of our elected officials in Washington. We break down their yearly salary, and they make $600 an hour. There are families all across this country who have a rude awakening. The Poor People's Campaign, currently we are in the Moral Monday phase. Today's focus was going to state houses, presenting our 14-point policy plan to the legislators and the governors. We had someone in almost every state make that presentation at their state houses. And they reported today at 3 o'clock back to the group. You can join the Moral Monday calls. They are Zoom calls or video by simply going to the poorpeoplescampaign.org and you can watch the meetings live right there on your phone, your tablet, or whatever device you have. We also focused on the voter rights attacks. I'm not sure of what next Monday's focus will be, but it's the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. 3 to about 4.15, those are the meeting times. Three o'clock each and every Monday. Join us. Also on the Poor People's Campaign website, you can find your local organization. PoorPeoplesCampaign.org. PoorPeoplesCampaign.org, and uh, again, more directly to Flint, MoreForFlint.com, MoreForFlint.com. Uh, again, folks, we we have to be our brother's keepers. And if if it's happening in Flint, you rest assured, it's happening other places. And we need to be conscious of that 
And 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 Doc, I love you. I, I really appreciate what you're doing um, in Flint for so many people. And and just keeping the, the faith, man. Uh, just keeping the faith because that's really what it's going to come down. A lot of prayer, a lot of faith, and a lot of activism. And you're doing that. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing this info. We'll make sure we continue to share this info uh, on our website and on the show, of course. Well, thank you, L.A., for everything. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate you, man. Love you, man. Love you, too. Thanks, Doc. Dr. Lee Bell, he's a motivational speaker, community activist, and uh, media personality in Flint, Michigan. The Flint Water Genocide has taken place. They're lead in the water. There are kids in that city, a, a city that's already economically challenged, uh, that are sick with legionnaires, and some, they've already had fatalities. And again, no one seems to care with a few exceptions outside of Flint other than those who are going through. We need to step up. We sign petitions we see on Facebook all the time for silly, frivolous stuff. How about signing a petition for this? More Flint, moreforflint.com, moreforflint.com, and of course, Poor People's Campaign, uh, Poor People's uh, Campaign.org. We take a break, come back. More of the Bachelor News radio show. If you miss any part of our broadcast, you can go to the thebastionnewsradionetwork.com thebastionnewsradionetwork.com More to come. Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart. I'm Tanya Hart. You're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. You know what? This pandemic has infected the entire world, but here in the United States, it has affected black people disproportionately on so many levels. You know, according to the Road to Zero Wealth Report, which was published way back in 2017 by Prosperity Now and the Institute for Policy Studies, the impact uh, that study showed that black Americans could fall to zero. The The median wealth of black Americans could fall to zero by 2053. Well, my guest today is trying to stop the free fall in black wealth as well as change the economic gap. Jay King is CEO and president of California Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, he's been initiating deliberate measures to mitigate what, you know, we're seeing as a fallout that could take decades to recover from. Thank goodness for you, Jay King. Welcome to Hollywood Live Extra. Thank you for having me. And it's, it's good to hear your voice. You sound just as lively as ever. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's a blessing today, isn't it? We all yes, alive and so far have survived the coronavirus, as we call it here in California. <laughs> how are you and your family, first of all? How's how you guys doing? Okay. Everybody's well. My daughter lives in Augusta with her mother, and so you know they haven't uh, they have social distance, um, and they mm-hmm. even though the state is starting to open up, they still continue to to follow their own protocol of social distancing, which Good. I think is smart. Um, Very smart. I have, a, yeah, I have a son in Florida, and uh, he also continues to follow uh, with his family, and he's my, he's my only child with children. Uh, he's married, mm-hmm. three, three children, mm-hmm. and they um, 
my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, she just graduated from high school and going to college. And so they're having wow. to get together for her, but it's only 12 to 15 of us, just close family. And then mm-hmm. my son, Jay, who lived in L.A., close by me um, when I'm there, he um, is a police in Simi Valley. So they're all safe and brothers and sisters, everybody's fine. Good. Well, wow. Well, you're blessed with a big family like that, and and the the blessing is that everybody's doing well because, as we know, uh, you know, everything always hits us harder than than most people in the world, and the pandemic has not been any different. You have been uh, CEO and president of the Black Chamber of Commerce here uh, since, what, 2000, and this is fairly new, 2019, right? Yes, only not even a year yet. It'll be a year in June. Um, Aubrey Stone, who was his longtime president, was president for 25 years. In 2018, right. uh, the beginning of the, uh, 2018, he um, was um, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the oh. unfortunate part is that, um, like most of our organizations, they don't always run properly. So by the time uh, he passed on, it was in December of 18, and uh, a, a fight erupted between old board members and the current board members. And the old board members tried to take over the chamber and um, it just didn't work. And eventually I was elected by the board to become the president. I worked uh, for the radio. We had a ra- we have a radio station, KDEE, and I really helped develop mm-hmm. the radio station. I was a volunteer there. And, um, and so um, because of my relationship with the chamber, with the community, and the work I did around the state, um, and and they couldn't pay anybody, so I didn't right. need money, and so I stepped in and said, "Look, you guys don't have to pay me. Let me generate my income. Let me go and make business for the chamber, which is what I've done." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you stepped in at quite an unfortuitous time, so you thought, and then the pandemic. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, <laughs> so good lord, um, what are we going to do? You know, I keep it, it's like it's unbelievable that. 2053, which is not that far from now, mm-hmm. that we could be looking at a situation where black people have no wealth. I, I, you know, I came out of Boston what some 30 years ago uh, when I came to L- L.A. for to build BET's West Coast operation. And now the wealth gap in Boston is like it's so ridiculous between black and white wealth. Mm-hmm. It's like black people, I think, earn, and I, I could be wrong. I'm not exactly correct. But it, the difference is, is like the wealth between black folks and white folks in that particular city, black people's income is worth about 5 or $6 versus 200 if you're white. Right. Well, that's around the country. But let me give you some historical context to put with that. So in 1910, 8 million Americans of African descent collectively owned 15 million acres in the United States in 1910. In 2020, 43 million Americans of African descent collectively own 1.2 million acres. Mm. Now, people would say that, why, why did that happen? Well, you got to remember that when we um, came out of the slavery into freedom, so to speak, and, and then we were able to purchase plots of land, uh, we purchased them oftentimes from people who were 
who owned us as slaves. Mm-hmm. And so um, we would get the property. They would they agreed to the terms and we would pay. And but we had no paperwork, no real agreement. It was a handshake because that's the way America worked. And they didn't give contracts to black people. Mm-hmm. And so here comes another generation or another generation past the initial seller of the property. And now they're saying, get off our property. And, and we're saying, no, we own this property. We paid. I paid. And, and here are my receipts. And they said, where's your contract? Because the world was changing. So all of a sudden, you got folks who tended the land, who built the land up, who built beautiful crops, who took care of the soil. They, they, they're getting their property stripped away from them. And there's no recourse. And then you got the Bureau of Land Management that was put in place to protect Americans of African descent from getting their land taken from them. And the Bureau of Land Management took more land from Americans of African descent or African Americans, whatever you want to call them, black folks, than any other agency in the history of this country. So then you fast forward to World War One, and on the floor of Congress, congressmen say the greatest threat to America is a Negro soldier coming back from war, believing he had the same inherent rights as a white man. This is white man country. Now, this is on the floor of Congress. Mm-hmm. So that's why you can go to 1919 and look at the Red Summer, which is arguably one of the most violent summers in the history of the United States where riots where whites attacked blacks happened in more than 25 major cities around the United States. All Just over because, the, the, the money, yeah. Uh, well, over, no, because they wore uni- their uniform. Because if I, if I was in the army and I came back and I was eating someplace and white men came in and said, nigger, take that uniform off, take that uniform off, boy. And if he didn't, they would they would burn him, a killing, a lynching. Hmm. And that, you know, and so this is our history. By so here we come up to World War II, and this is when the GI Bill comes into place. But it's not a federal mandate. Each state gets to control the GI Bill. 1.2 million African American men who fought in World War II were supposed to have the GI Bill at their disposal, the same as their white counterparts. Right. Well, they didn't get it. So their white counterparts, if they bought a home, became 20 times wealthier with the purchase of that home. If they went to college because it was all free, they became 40 times wealthier. So what you'll see is that over time, this wealth gap that we're speaking of, because of the biases, the racism, the prejudice, they have cumulatively, they started building that gap further and further apart. And then when you have the government and the agencies that are supposed to protect the citizens of the United States going against its own citizenry, not for any other reason other than the fact that they're of a darker darker skin tone, you know, so 
So here we are now. So we come to this pandemic and we go to this 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 um, report and then you have to you add those things and then you add black leadership to this and the failures of black leadership. I was going to say the lack thereof. Yes. So our black leadership has failed us in a lot of ways. But one of the most distinct ways that I believe black leadership has failed us is in putting us on this island that we have to be black. Everything has to be about black. I'm in an integrated society. I should act integrated. And so that means that I should be vested in the stock market mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's where fortunes are made. But not once in the history of this country have you ever had elected officials or leadership of any high profile discuss the stock market with us as a community. And if we were invested and if we were invested in the stock market, the way we buy the goods that that are represented on the market, we change a hundred years and ten years. Because instead of just owning Apple products, we'd own Apple stock. Or instead of owning Nike product, we'd own Nike stock. There was a time when you could have bought Nike for 18 cents, Apple for Mm -hmm. 56 cents. And tell them how much it costs now. I mean, Apple, look at Apple. Apple's almost $3, $312 a share right now. The market is open right now. So I could tell you right now, and so I, I trade options. I don't just buy stocks. I also trade options. Mm-hmm. And um, so Apple right now is trading at three dollars and three hundred and fifteen dollars and eight cents. Right. So that's how and much so you would have made for your that's, early investment. Yeah. That's right. So just think about this. But Apple pays a dividend to you. So you get a dividend from Apple every six months. So you can you don't ever have to sell your stock. So if you bought mm-hmm. if you bought um, ten thousand shares of Apple when it was 28 cents, you would have spent $2,800. Right. And and so Apple... And that return right now... So, but Apple split eight times, six or eight times. So now your 10,000 shares would be somewhere between 6,000 and 8,000 shares. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and so... I mean, I'm sorry, 60... Uh, yeah, between um, 60,000... And 80,000 shares. 80,000 shares, yeah. Yeah. So now you multiply that by the buck, buck 50 you get on a biannual basis. You can, That's 90,000. Um, that's a 60 to 90,000 90, every six months. Or 120 to $180,000 a year. That's a job. That is a job. Yeah. And that you don't even have to work to do at the mo- at the moment. So exactly. no, you are so right. I, it's so interesting, I, you know, that we are we've taken the conversation in this direction because apparently I was going to ask you. Okay, this gap is there. It's very real. What can we do right now to kind of make sure that we don't go to zero wealth? And you just explained it. You just change the way it. we think. You know, so we got to change the way we think. Every everything can't be the white man, you know. I'm not afraid of Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, I kind of appreciate Donald Trump. I've never seen a racist and a bigot so open in my life 
that, that was in the White House. And so <laughs> I respect True. I respect it. I respect how open it is. You know, um, we we get comfortable with the soft bigotry and the soft prejudice and racisms of a Clinton uh, family. You know, it's okay. Or a, a Joe Biden because it's, mm. it's more palatable. But they're more dangerous to me because we'll invite them in the house as though they, they mean something good to us. The crime bill was not good to us. No. And, and they admitted yeah. that. I mean, you know, Joe Biden admitted that. Of course he admitted it. He admitted it because he, he had, had to. to. Because politically he had, he had to. Yeah. But we have to stop being so emotional. And we have to be more pragmatic, more critical, more methodical. And, and how how we're going to move forward and and we have to be more selfless mm-hmm. our our communities are selfish because our leadership is selfish when leadership will sit in a position well into their 70s and 80s and not prepare a younger person to come in with new fresh ideas it's why we, we're like running a marathon or running a relay race where all of the other ethnic, ethnic groups hand the baton off to somebody else. Right. We got one guy who don't want to, or one woman who, who doesn't want to hand the baton off. They want to run it, the, the, the race. And we may start off in the lead. We may start off in the lead for the first two legs. But by leg three and leg four, we're, we're, we're so far well, behind. I, I can't say that white people aren't any different because Lord knows I love her, but look how long Nancy Pelosi's been there, and I know who, uh, who you're talking about. But right, you know, but, but you, the, difference, you, the, difference is, the difference is Nancy Pelosi and white folks aren't in the same economic position, political no, position, social position that we're in. They can afford to do that. We can't. We don't have, these are their rules. They can change rules at any time. We can't. And so they we do. Have to be, and we have to be a lot smarter. Um, my mother told me, if you're doing business and you're in a room with white folks and you're the only black person in that room, you're 10 times smarter than everybody in that room. That's the only way you're going to be equal. you got to be 10 times better to be equal. And that's how I walked in this life. You know, um, mm-hmm. I knew that if I was in the room, I was in a room because I was more than prepared. I was more than smart enough. That's why I'm in the room. So we have to know our value, too. And That's very you know, we true, and we don't. Yeah, we don't talk about our history enough. I, I, I still do radio. Even though I'm the president of the chamber, I still do radio three days a week. Every day that I'm on the radio, I talk about our history because... We get mad at white folks for not knowing our history, but we don't get mad at us for not knowing our history. Very true. I want to get back, though, because we, we're looking at all of this money that people are, uh, well, not, it's, mm-hmm. not a, it's not nearly enough, but the federal government is doling out money to businesses. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Um, so are black people getting access to this money, black businesses that you can tell um, yeah, yeah the, the, the top the top five percent do because they are because ninety five percent of African American small businesses have no employees. So the payment protection plan 
um, doesn't apply to them because they're sole proprietorships and they don't have a, mm-hmm. a payment system that uh, a third party payment system that pays out for them. So mm-hmm. they don't qualify. Um, and again, I go back to our leadership. We have the Congressional Black Caucus where $2.2 trillion was put on the table and what the Congressional Black Caucus guaranteed for African-American small business people nationwide for the 2.6 million small businesses that exist in this country was $10 million in grant money. So $10 million in grant money for 2.6 million African-American businesses, if spread across equally, would be less than $4 per business. I was going to say, that's nothing. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. So, so, so two so we're things. We're at the table, <laughs> but we're not asking. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you got, you got to ask. And, and then that begs the question, what is the Black Congressional Caucus doing? What, how did that even happen? And where does that leave us? And, well, you know, Na- where does Nancy that leave Pelosi, us? Nancy Pelosi controls what the Congressional Black Caucus does. She, she told them not to go meet with Donald Trump. And so they didn't. She told them not to comply, so they don't. And my deal is this. Um, anytime somebody wants to talk to me that I have a disagreement with and, um, and they have some power, I'm going to sit down with them. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, whether I like Donald Trump's optics or not, if I, if, you know, he's got a 10-point plan for black America most people don't even know about. And the reason why we don't know about it is because our leadership won't even sit down with him. And my deal is, hey, if he got a 10-point plan, why aren't we trying to make sure that we get some of this plan on the table for our community? So we have to change the way we think as a community. We have to get involved. We have to be voters. We, we have yeah. political equity that we don't, that, that we don't cash in on. Um, our communities are suffering. We're worse off today than we were in 1969. So here we are. We've been rolling with the Democrats for, for you know, for all this time. Mm-hmm. And if you just take from 1969 to today and you go in our communities, our communities aren't safe. We don't even, if we have any type of influence or, or affluence, we don't want to live in the black community because we, we're afraid of it. We um, support mm-hmm. organizations like um, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter when they don't even march when black people kill each other. And while I love the, the idea of Black Lives Mattering, I'm saying we should make Black Lives Matter no matter who's killing the black life, even especially when it's us. Especially. I was going to say, you know what? 35 years ago, I did a docuseries on black-on-black crime for NBC. That was 35 years ago when I was first getting in this business. And and it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's worse. It's worse now than it was then. Jay, I know we got to let you go, but uh, I just want what you said earlier about the stock market and people thinking differently about money. Is that the way if if we could get together a collective group of, you know, we've always had our little groups of investors and like a lot of women get together. We have our investment groups and stuff like that. But if we could somehow get a national investment group together, which I know is not easy, and start really looking at the stock market and get stock market and working it the way our counterparts do can we close that gap absolutely not only could we close it we would change the way the world saw us we would change the value of who we are 
in this country, the value of us would change immediately and immensely. But what it requires is for us to believe that we deserve it. See, it's, it, I don't expect anybody else to believe it if we don't. I don't yeah. expect anybody else to fight for it if we don't. I don't, you know, and, and, and the beauty is that what you're asking for on a national level, if we do it on a, a, a community level, through osmosis, it turns national. We started yes, off true. with a group of, t- of 10 or 15 of us that are now over 100 of us. And now people in Alaska, people in Texas, people in Oklahoma, people in Georgia, they all tune into our, um, we do financial literacy. I do a financial literacy course every first and third Wednesday of every month. And, you know, and that's why we did the, you know, everybody pitch in campaign. There are 2.3 million African-Americans in California. If we all pitched in $5 to to help African-American small businesses, we generate $11.5 million by putting in $5. Just imagine if we put $5 a month in, 2.3 million African-Americans, if we put in $5 a month into a fund, we'd have over $130 million a year discretionary that we could help other businesses with, that we could help our young people with, that we can help pay college tuition with. And if we had done that for the last five years and then this pandemic hit, we'd have over half a billion dollars or close to a a billion dollars in dollars that we could have just had for ourselves. But again, it takes for for forward thinking and we have to divorce ourselves from the conditions that we've been bathed in from a mental standpoint. Well, Jay, I've got to tell you something. I'm counting on you and your your, uh, new position with the California Black Chamber of Commerce as CEO. To get, you know, California always leads the way, it seems, these days, and um, it sounds like that's what you are doing. Let let me know personally and let us know here at AURN what you need for us to do to get this initiative going, because you're so right. You know, $5 adds up to 10 real easily, and then it's 15 and it's 20 and we would not be in this position, but we got, we've got to change the wealth gap like now. We've got to. So I'm counting so on you, well, this is what I need people to do. I need people to go to GoFundMe.com. And then when they go to GoFundMe.com, type in Everybody Pitch In. And then you'll see we're the first campaign that's there. It says California Black Chamber, Sacramento, to say my name, Jay King. It's an aqua blue kind of covering deal. And if you just put in at least $5, we, you know, we, we start. And, and the only criteria that it takes for a small business in California to get this money is that they not have received any significant grant money or loan money from anybody else. Because if they have, then they're probably well on their way. We want to make sure that we can get as many African-American small business people, legitimate African-American mm-hmm. small business people, some relief. We're not going to make anybody whole. We're not going to make it where anybody Every bill is paid, but what we are going to do is give them some relief, give them some breathing room so that they can build up their muscle and, um, you know, and, and move forward. 
and move forward. Thank you so much for all you've done. Uh, we're going to continue to follow up with this, everybody. You're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. Uh, my guest today has been Jay King. He, of course, is the CEO and president of the California Black Chamber of Commerce. They're doing some really good things. Don't forget to do what Jay suggested. Go to GoFundMe and uh, go to the California Black Chamber of Commerce. No, $5 everybody is pitch in. Everybody, oh, everybody pitch in is the campaign. Everybody pitch in is the campaign. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. <laughs> you take care. Okay. And for everybody else out there, don't forget to download the AURN app, or you can find us, Hollywood Live Extra, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. You've got to download all of these. We've got several. We've got a whole catalog going now. They're all interesting. They're all helpful. Uh, they, the, many of them will help you get through your current difficult times. And so if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. I'm Tanya Hart. This is Hollywood Live Extra. Hollywood Live Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Welcome back to the show. We thank you for listening to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and our sister station, WCOM in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. I'm L.A. Bachelor. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you checking in. The number, of course, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Chat room is open. You can hit us up on Facebook as well with your questions, comments, whatever you like to say. Uh, and get in touch with our guests. You can certainly do that. Speaking of which, he is a motivational speaker. He's a media personality, and he's a community activist. Always good to have the doctor making a house call, Dr. Lee Bell. And, Doc, I appreciate your patience and, and, and coming on, sir. Well, thanks for having me inside the bachelor pad, L.A. Absolutely. Uh, Doc, I had to have you on the, this debate about um obviously covid is 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 taking a lot of the the news and deservedly so with with so many of us that we know that have gone through and are going through because of covid-19 um but one of the things that this new administration had promised to deliver was a increase in minimum wage. Now, it's, I don't think we've had one since uh, George Bush, you know, the second. You know, uh, not daddy, but, but son. Um, it, it makes absolute no sense. Let me throw some stuff at you and the audience that you already know, Doc. I know you know because you with the Poor People's Campaign, and I know Dr. Barber, Dr. Reverend Barber, yourself are <clears throat> championing these things in areas um seven twenty five an hour comes out to what fifteen thousand of that a year the um experts the so called experts or the average in the United States that is considered to be not poor or above the poverty line, is $12,000 a year. So I, 
people want to have this debate, well, you know, Michigan, uh, you know, their cost of living and, and maybe their, their, their annual income is higher than West Virginia, Connecticut is higher than there, New York is this and this and that. But you can't have a universal number above or below the poverty line. So I, I, say, I say this to you, Doc, and I bring this up to you, that this administration made a point of in their 100 days and adding this into their agenda because people are suffering, um, that this the $15 minimum wage increase across the board would be in the bill. Now they're backing off. We knew Joe uh, Manchin was going to be who he is. He I don't know why he's got a D on his, his name. He's really a Republican. Um, and you would think West Virginia, one of the poorest, if not the poorest state in the country, would need $15 an hour. So, Doc, it's it just, it, and we get into the parliamentary and all that other stuff uh, and, you know, the, the Senate votes. But at the end of the day, People are suffering. People were poor before COVID-19. They're still poor after the bill. So talk about this, how important this is um, to save lives. This is a moral issue, and this is a life and death issue in raising the minimum wage. $15, by the way, is not a lot of money, by the way. It's really not. You know, L.A., I invite your audience to visit poorpeoplescampaign.org. Our banner is a national call for moral leadership. It's immoral to have a minimum wage resting at 7.25. It's a moral outrage. Before the pandemic, we were working with about 140 million. That's the number of people the Poor People's Campaign represents. 140 people in 140 million people in poverty. With the pandemic alone, and I'll start there since it's most precious in our minds, even after everyone who's going to get the vaccination gets it and gets back to work, we're looking at a prolonged period of recovery. People have lost their savings if they had any savings, and those who had no savings, they are deeply in debt. So we have to create a mechanism to help our communities start to climb out of this huge hole that we're in, a hole that was created in part by the previous administration, both the Senate, the presidency, and we can even lay blame at the feet of the Supreme Court. People caught in this pandemic are suffering from more than just the pandemic itself. 
people have emotional issues. Children have emotional issues that have been exacerbated by the pandemic, whether it being staying at home as a parent because you need to watch your children and can't work, or whether it be the children not being able to be in a social atmosphere as social beings. The food you buy has gone up. We've seen gas prices going up. Everything tends to go up and not stay stagnant. We have increased medical costs. Everything around us is increasing except our pay. We've been working towards $15 an hour for quite some time. We've been working hand-in-hand with Fight for 15, the organization. The people running our government, the so-called leaders, if they believe $15 is a living wage, it should really be higher than that. But if they believe that the working people of this country don't deserve $15, don't need $15, I say to them, try living on $15 yourself. This, you know, it did. Doc, I was going to say, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. This institution that we look to to have our best interests at heart is woefully lacking, both Democrats and Republicans. Go ahead, L.A. I was going to say, Doc, and you, you point out so many important things, and, and I think it goes back to the greed of this country. But, you know, I, I want to share this. And, again, Doc, you're familiar with a lot of these numbers, but I want to share this um, with the audience out there. You know, out of 32 countries, Mexico being the worst in terms of minimum wage, 90 cents, which is, it just got awful. Um, and then you got parts of the old um, USSR, the Russian Federation's $1.30 Brazil is is horrible. People it, it go there all the time. Um, but, and, and this, these are U, U.S. dollars, by the way, that I'm I'm basing it on. Brazil's U.S. dollars, if it was in there, if it was U.S. dollars, is is, is two dollars. Colombia's two dollars and forty cents. You got Chile, the uh, Slovak Republic, Costa Rica. I'm not even getting all of them. But the point is, the United States is number um, twelve. Slovenia, right behind us. Slovenia. Dr. Bell, seven bucks. Uh, right in front of us, um, again, these are U.S. dollars, is Japan. But this is, this, this is the hypocrisy of this country. We always want to talk about how great we are in democracy and, 
and and we're calling out Russia and we're calling out um, China and other places for you know crimes against humanity, how how they treat their people and and all this stuff. France number one, by the way, at eleven bucks and twenty cents an hour. Australia second. Um, and then you see.
Bring him a guest. Uh, he is a former NFL player with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Atlanta Falcons. Also, he's the founder of the Pro Start Academy. It's an academy, uh, academic and athletic enhancement program designed to develop the athletic, academic, and life skills of students between the ages of 12 and 17. He is Gary Burley. And, Mr. Burley, it's a pleasure to have you on the Bastion News Radio Show for the first time, sir. I hope all is well with you. All is well, and thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So I want to get into um, what you're trying to start. If you could just touch on what the Pro Start Academy is and how you started that. Well, um, Pro Start Academy, as you mentioned, is an academic and a football academy. And we teach the basic fundamentals of the sport, but also the academics that we're going to need to uh, get in school and stay there once they get there. So we have uh, all former football players and coaches, but other professionals and academics that that teach the actual uh, courses that they need to uh, prepare themselves for. And that's what we do. it, it it sounds it, it sounds like something that uh, needs to be across the country. I know that's not one of the things you want to talk about, but uh, one of the things, obviously. But you know, you 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 played in the NFL for ten years. You 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 started with the Bengals. You played with some 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 pretty uh, solid players. Um, you went to the University of Pittsburgh, but you didn't go to an HBCU. And one of the things you're trying to do now to help HBCUs is this traveling exhibit um, sort of uh, museum, if you will, or historic exhibit um, to talk about the history of the first African-Americans in the National Football League, which I think was 1946. Why this? Was it something that you thought about after you let you graduated from a PWI and you didn't go to an HBCU, how did you? How did this all come about? Well, um, when I was a senior in high school, I have to go all the way back there. I met Jack Hicks. I mean John Hicks and Jack Tatum at a function at Ohio State. And after I beat them in a foot race, they asked me where I was going to college. And I told them Westinghouse. I told them Westinghouse. And uh, they said, where is Westinghouse? And I told them it was an appliance manufacturer because my dad told me if I didn't go to college, I was going to work. So after they got through laughing, they said, no, you're going to college, and we're going to help you get there. So they trained me uh, as far as football fundamentals and that and introduced me to their professors. And the next thing you know, I'm going to college. So I had a bunch of mentors that helped me get from high school to college to the pros, and I always said that one day I'm going to do the same thing for kids, and that's how Pro Start was born. Uh, In 2007, we started Pro Start, and it's been rolling ever since. So Pro Start, so this this mission, this vision that you have in terms of the African American the uh, exhibit for African Americans um, in, in the first year in football, 
was a spinoff of ProStar. Well, no, actually, um, the idea came from a former Steeler, uh, Dave Smith. And Dave introduced me to the project, and we were going to work together and, and put it together. Well, I got sick and uh, had to have a kidney transplant, cancer, whole nine yards, and I had to put it on hold, and I'm just now getting back. But what we've done is we started a scholarship, and five student-athletes will get a scholarship and hopefully an internship from some of our corporate sponsors. Now, the proceeds from our celebrity golf tournament will go towards that scholarship. So we had to figure out some ways to keep funding that scholarship. So I thought since the uh, commissioner uh, of the NFL already knew about the idea, maybe we could revitalize and start doing a traveling, put together a traveling exhibit that could go to each um, HBCU and they could make money off of it. So those are some of the things that we want to do uh, for HBCUs. And, and, and so to be clear, you know, you want to you want to take this exhibit on the road, educate people, raise funds through this exhibit to help all HBCUs that that exist all across. Oh the yeah. Well, we no, we want to as many that want to be involved with us. You know, everybody's not going to want to do it, but the ones that do will have an opportunity to participate in the uh, proceeds. You know, uh, if you're just joining us, folks, we're talking with Gary uh, Burley, a former NFL player in the National Football League here on the Vassar News Radio Show in WCOM, a uh, fine defensive uh, end. Uh, I, I teased him off air. He should have went to Pittsburgh, but he, he, I know he knew Dwight White and Elsie Greenwood and Mean Joe, and I guess there wasn't a lot of room, so he went to Cincinnati and had a had a, had a solid 10-year career. Um, Gary, when you, you look at this, you made a reference about HBCUs. Maybe some of them may not want to be uh, connected to this thing, and, and a lot of times on this program we talk about HBCUs coming together, um, having a, a, a HBCU or a Black College Super Bowl or Black College National Championship in basketball, so on and so forth, and, you know, some of the conversations that, you know, some schools don't want to participate, they want to do their own thing. We've seen the likes of uh, uh, A&T and others that have gone on to PWI schools down these historically black colleges. So what what would be the thing you say, the selling point about getting involved with this? Because not only this is a win-win, because you're you're talking about the four players, which if you want, we can get into the four players that played, the first four players that played in the NFL back in 46. So you're getting educated. And you're getting some proceeds to help keep the doors open. So what would be the selling point for that? Would that be it for you? Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, my wife is the president of an HBCU. And I I can see the inequities uh, as far as sports go um, for their student athletes and, and their facilities. And I tried to figure out a way 
that I could make a win-win situation for both parties, the cities and uh, the HBCUs. And the way right. we do that is put together a host of potential uh, sponsors that the HBCUs can also cultivate relationships as well. Um, each city is going to have different sponsors that would sponsor the traveling exhibit, right? Well, there's funds that could be generated from that through memorabilia sales, through T-shirt sales, you know, what have you, whatever. And that would be the incentive for the HBCU because we'd like to start scholarships um, at each school if we could. So as long wow. as we're getting income, um, each school could, could uh, participate as far as the scholarship goes. And the reason so, for so, the scholarship – go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say – I didn't mean to interrupt. So I was going to say the, so the, they, they will get proceeds and get scholarships uh, on behalf of uh, a post-start academy. So, again, there's a third leg that would be a win-win-win for them. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Well, if, if they decided to uh, – if they wanted a scholarship, we could set up in addition to the uh, – in addition to the traveling exhibit, a celebrity golf tournament in each city. I mean, that's what we do. So we're trying to partner with HBCUs to help them raise money. And right now our focus is on Miles College. But we'd like to develop a, a, a long-term relationship with other HBCUs, and this is the way we want to do it. And if they're interested, they will. If they're not, then, you know, we just move on. We move forward. Right. Uh, just joining us, folks, uh, out there, and I think we've got some questions. Um, we're talking with former NFL player Gary Burley, of course, uh, drafted out of uh, – University of Pittsburgh in and, and, uh, 1975, played with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals from 76 to 83, played a year with the Falcons as well. Um, from Birmingham, and, and full disclosure, like you said, your wife, um, if, if it's okay, is president of Miles College in, in, in Birmingham. So that uh, between her and Mr. Smith, this vision came. Um, talk about some of the spinoffs. Um, of this, I know we we talked briefly um, uh, about you know some of the other things, but I know you want to uh, uh, do you do the celebrity golf tournament. Um, you 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 have the that uh, you want to develop an HBCU bowl game then in, in Birmingham. Uh, you're working on a documentary, um, also a, a stage play, and and the bigger one which the NFL tried and COVID hit a football combine for the students. Can you touch on those specifics uh, about what they, what, where they are in their inception and, and, and how they're progressing at this point? Well, uh, we're focused right now on the celebrity golf tournament and developing the traveling exhibit. Uh, those other spinoffs are things that have been discussed and, um, we're in the process now of developing uh, the scripts and, and the uh, um, writing. My coach, my high school football coach, was the uh, top sports writer for the Chicago Tribune for 30 years. And he has an organization that he works with that does documentaries. And when I told him about this traveling exhibit, he asked me, well, what about doing a documentary on it? I said, you know, anything that we can do, 
to tell this story that, to my knowledge, has never been told fully like the history of the first African-American in the National Football League. Anything that would help that, get that word out, then that's what I'm interested in doing. So we're, right. in, uh, Go ahead. we're in discussions with uh, the uh, uh, Red Mountain Theater here in, uh, in Birmingham to, to do a stage play. So right now, you know, those are the things that we're working on, and it's just going to take some time. Can you talk about those four players? I mean, uh, not only this, this, what you're trying to do is in the climate of a lot of people trying to help HBCUs. The, uh, it, we've seen actors that are putting on uh, basketball exhibitions to, to highlight HBCU players. We've seen what Deion Sanders is trying to do. Um, Master P wants to buy an HBCU. So this is the climate for it. But I, I, want, I want you to talk about the actual exhibit, those four players, and what would be involved with it. Well, uh, I tell you, it, it'll be a – and I'll send you the outline – I mean, the, uh, the image of what the exhibit would look like. But it'll be uh, interactive. It'll be uh, photo, game film. Can you hold on for just a second? I'm at an HBCU scrimmage game right now, and the band just started. Oh, wow. And the band oh, just started. It, live radio. Uh, it's, uh, oh, yeah. he, he, he's at, the, at, at one of the uh, games there, uh, folks. We're going to give him a second. Just give him a second there. Much better. Yeah, they they they're getting getting down. The band is definitely getting down. Um, <laughs> but you, if you could talk about um, the players and and actually that that played that first season, and also as you were going into what the exhibit actually looks like. Well, like I said, it's going to be uh, an interactive uh, exhibit. Uh, film, uh, memorabilia, and it'll tell the story of the first four guys that came into the league. Mr. Williams, um, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Williams and the other three guys that came in. And, uh, you know, there was some people that played professional football back in the 30s, but these are the first guys that were ever on a team, an NFL team. And under contract. So that's the story that we're going to tell because the young uh, student-athletes don't know how they got from how these guys were making minimum wage to the millions that they get today. And they need to know that there were some people here before them that are the reason for them being in a position to take advantage of this situation. So that's the story we want to tell. And all the How realistic? Right, right. And I was that that was definitely something on my mind when I thought about the league back then, uh, Mr. Burley. But how how realistic? Going back, I just want to touch back on HBCUs. We know the HBCUs 
the Mel Blunson guys who played in the league, they made the league. Even going way before those guys, uh, they helped build the league. Um, and then coming up to you and Kenny Riley and those Bengals teams and stuff, you guys made it where these guys are making just they're printing the league is printing money, and the, the guys got their hands out. How realistic though is it? Going back to, to the, the combine HBCU combine idea, is it for you guys to put together? And what do you think of what the NFL tried to do in terms of an NFL HBCU combine? Well, uh, you know, seventy percent of the league is African American. So there's a lot of uh, African-American players that don't get an opportunity to get looked at. So it's very, it's a much needed thing to have an HBCU combine. And, you know, we're going to pitch it to the NFL if they're interested. Fine. If not, then what we'll do is just get, gather all the information from the testing and the weightlifting and the, in the uh, 40-yard jazz time and send it to the NFL so they know about the guys that are available. It would save them money, so they'll have a a whole uh, history of the guys that we interviewed. I want to touch on one other thing. I want to touch on one other thing. Um, I know you know you at the the game there, the exhibition. Um, With the NFL and the way they handle CTEs and concussions, and, and not only that, but the players way back, going to your era and further back, who have concussions, who've got uh, dementia and injuries, and they, they, they're in court trying to get the NFL to give them the, the compensation so they could take care of themselves in their time after the league. I, I, you know, Walter Payton, uh, I mean, um, Earl Campbell couldn't walk. Jerome Bettis has issues. Go back to the, you know, way back to guys who have uh, issues. And, it, you know, on this program, we feel like the NFL is kind of putting these guys off until they kind of gone. So what's your thoughts on that and, and trying to – the NFL trying to right the ship to help these these guys. Um, I know you've had injuries to, to help these guys get through what they've, they've been through and their families. Well, you know, my position is this. Um, I applaud the NFL for what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, it's better late than never. And guys now are positioned to get some of this funding, and, you know, my hat is off to them. Well, you know, I, we, we, we think they could do a little better, but that's my, you know, that's my opinion on, on, on that, uh, just kind of looking at it a little closer. So when you when you going back to the exhibit, um, where are you guys starting um, what, what's the target area and what's the strategy moving forward? And are you doing this on every campus or just every city within HBCU? Yeah, I'm sorry, the drummer started up and I couldn't hear what you were saying. Let me move down the hall a little bit. You were saying again? So, so I was saying, uh, final question was that how, are you, how is this exhibition going to work? Are, are you targeting certain cities, or are you going to go on HBCU campuses one by one 
to to push this? Well, we're going to pitch uh, HBCUs, but we partnered with the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame here in Birmingham, and the relationship that we've developed with them is that they will also reach out to other museums, and hopefully those museums will be in the cities where HBCUs are. And if we can't do it on campus, a traveling exhibit, so if we can't do it on campus, um, we can do it at their stadium. We can do it it's pretty much anywhere because we'll have a traveling, I mean, a, uh, a mobile unit to take the, the, uh, the exhibit through. But most HBCUs, I would think, if they're like Miles, they have uh, locations where uh, we can do this. Hopefully, it's in a museum. That way, uh, the traffic that comes from the museum uh, will come through for for our exhibit. Well, that that's certainly an aspiration, and I I I I'm definitely excited about the idea. But people who want to get involved, if if they can get involved with this, sir, how can they reach out to you? What what information can we give them to reach you? Well, they have to look at our website. We're updating the website, and it'll have all this information on it. And that's the best way right now to get in touch with me, and we'll make it happen. Whatever questions they have, we can answer. And if whatever support we can yeah, get. Yeah, I know the, the Pro Start Academy has a Facebook page. Yes, and uh, they are working on our website to put it back up. It's down now, but it'll be back up shortly. We're just having some um, uh, additions put to it. Added to it. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show, man. This is this is great. This is the first interview we've done on the uh, on the exhibit and uh, pro start. But uh, I really appreciate you. And if there's anything I could ever do for you, don't hesitate to call. Absolutely, sir. Listen, we we appreciate you. You go and enjoy yourself. Thanks for coming on. I'll be in touch. It won't be the last. Uh, but thank you, Mr. Burley. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Have a great evening. You too.